Welcome to Pop to the Lou, where we share hilarious, embarrassing, heartbreaking, and inspiring stories of living life with IBD. This is purely for entertainment purposes. This is not medical, health, or even life advice, so do not take anything we say seriously. Welcome to episode 21 of Pop to the Lou. This week, we chatted with Liam, who wrote the book, more than meets the eye. Liam was absolutely awesome to interview, absolute legend, went through his journey with ulcerative colitis and yeah, was just so open, so transparent, just so awesome to speak to. Let's catch up with each other this week, sir. So how is your mind and gut? Well, (laughs) (laughs) great. This week, I don't know what has been up. Uh, I don't even remember the last time we did a mind and gut but I had a very unfortunate experience when I was served um, bread, like real bread, glutinous bread at a restaurant. And that made me sick. I think that was like two weekends ago. And it was a bit traumatizing because then I was like, oh, I like a bit more nervous now about eating out. Uh, like, you know how you're always like cautious about it, but it kind of jaded me a bit and obviously being sick for quite a while after, which was so frustrating. And then... Back in like 2019, this restaurant opened in the area and I was like, I want to go. It looks amazing. And then 2020 happened. It was closed, et cetera. So finally, like um, two months ago, we were like, let's book in a reservation because it's always booked. And a group of us booked it in and the food was amazing. Like we were eating. I was like, oh my God, this is so good. And then, you know, when you get that pain all of a sudden and I was like, fuck. Absolutely. Oh my God. And so I'm sitting there trying to casually like reach into my bag and grab paracetamol, <laughs> like popping a few of them. And I'm like, I can do this. <laughs> and I'm like, the guys are talking about like F1 something. I don't know. And I'm like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm going to vomit. And I literally pull my phone out, book an Uber. And I get up. I'm like, you guys, I'm leaving and just left. And that was like the first time I've ever had to leave in the middle of dinner because I thought I was going to vomit like all over that table and the washrooms were like upstairs and I'm like, there's no way I'm like going up there to like be stuck in the washroom vomiting for ages. Uh, So yeah, that was pleasant. I felt so bad, but at the same time, I have felt that sick before going out with friends and stuff, maybe not to the extreme that like I felt I was going to throw up at any second, but you know, that pain and everything. And usually I'll like force myself to suffer through it and like put a smile on. And I think I finally got to the point where I'm like, I don't need to do this. Like go home. Everybody will be fine. Like they'll cover the bill. I'll obviously just pay them back after just get the fuck out of there. Um, so yeah, kind of happy with myself for actually leaving when I needed to, rather than trying to suffer through and put on like a face as if everything was fine. So that was fun. And then it's fun, babe. <laughs> I have yeah, <laughs> I have no idea what it was though. Like, so I was like, great night. <laughs> the thing is, too, like, these places have been on the more expensive side. And I'm like, what am I paying all this money for just to get sick every time I go out to eat? So I would like to say that I'm taking a break from eating out, but um, I am going out for brunch tomorrow. But can Good you luck. really fuck up eggs? <laughs> 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 Anyways, that's my little ramble. Uh, maxed beyond, but as always, so nothing new there. And how are you doing? How's your mind and gut? Yeah, good, babe. I literally have had like the weirdest few weeks. I've obviously had my stag do. I've had a hen do. I've had a week in Ibiza. I'm just getting ready for a couple of more weddings. Mm -hmm. So I've just been eating and drinking and yeah, so my gut's great. (laughs) (laughs) 
you get it's no sympathy from any of us <laughs> I've had such Poor like thing. a obviously like a switch off from it all and then it's just gone mental and just mm-hmm. loving it so yeah I'm all good I'm just like do you know what I'm I'm just really excited yeah. for all my friends that are getting married and Absolutely. everything that's going on at the moment so yeah I'm just on cast overdrive <laughs> are you feeling rested after your trip to Ibiza I wouldn't say rested for the first time I didn't work which is really weird I feel like that's a lie okay I did actually work a little bit <laughs> yeah that is a lie I was thinking actually I didn't work but you know when like people don't work on holiday and they yeah. actually don't work actually I think because I did like an hour a day I'm like I didn't work but I did yeah I did work a little bit but it, it was a little bit different to usual so yeah good would you like to introduce us to whoever is sitting beside you? I would. So one of my bestest, oldest, amazingest friends is with me tonight. So we've been out for tapas and negronis, obviously, because it's me. Obviously. So this is Ollie. So yeah, so we've been buddies since we were 11. So literally, mm-hmm. we are joined at the hip. We've grown up together. We've been to two schools together. So yeah, we've been out tonight and Oz thought he would join us tonight <laughs> for the intro for Liam's episode. Yeah. Are you going to do your mind and gut check-in with us? Oh, so oh okay, great. So I've just been away for a couple of days, um, you know, just to recharge the batteries and all. Um, so really good. It's been very relaxing. Fresh air, sea breeze, good food, good people. Really can I just can I just butt in? He's been on a stag do in Marbella. So <laughs> <laughs> the exact opposite all, of all of all that. All those points that I just raised are key and pivotal, and all the boxes were ticked. So yeah, Brilliant. I'm, I'm happy and my, my gut is very well. Um <laughs> I think he's lying, sir. <laughs> no, it's it's honest and true. <laughs> and on that note, let's get into the episode. Just so everybody knows, you can get Liam's book, More Than Meets the Eye, on Amazon. I think they ship everywhere in the world. Cass and I both bought it in the UK and Australia, and it got here really quickly, actually. So check it out. We'll put a link in the bio, and we hope you like the episode. You're right, Liam. It's so nice to see you. I know. It's, uh, it was a shame, but last time I was, uh, I was away for... Valentine's Day, a couple of days in Edinburgh, and uh, I was drinking, obviously, and eating loads of, like, nice foods and, like, too much, you know, like, it was pretty much full days of drinking, you know, I was, like, having Guinness and cocktails at, like, 12 in the afternoon. Amazing. And that was, like, right through the whole day, so I had a couple of days of that, um, and then it was the last night I just... I got home. I wasn't even drunk. I was like normal, you know, like when you've kind of been drinking all day, then you don't really feel like too drunk at the end of the night. You just feel know tired. it well, Liam. You know <laughs> it well. <laughs> so, yeah. so I, I kind of went, uh, we, we got back to the hotel and then I, I, I kind of woke up a couple hours later. I was like, oh, something's not right here. Like heartburn and sickness kind of feeling. Then I was sick and that was me. Started being sick there at like two in the morning and didn't stop for like, 48 hours or something like couldn't drink water couldn't do nothing and i was really bad so i don't know if it was like norovirus or it was food poisoning or i don't know um but it was tough it was it wasn't a nice experience yeah you did not sound well at the time (laughs) no i certainly wasn't can i just make an observation 
this is a Scottish accent. Yeah, up and up. But, you know, I mean, I, I, my, my accent's actually pretty neutral because I've worked away from home for so many years, like around different people. But, um, you know, the people I went to school with and stuff who are, and, and certainly people in the older generation, um, they speak like, a, it's called Doric, you know? I don't know if you've heard of that before. Yeah. Never heard of that. It's, yeah. Doric. it's like, um, it's kind of like a, almost like a, it is an accent, but it's not because it's almost all a new language. It's almost like a tribal kind of Scottish kind of thing uh, in a way. And it's kind of only spoken in the northeast of Scotland, up in Aberdeenshire, where I'm from. Um, but I'll, I'll try and maybe find some videos afterwards and send you some stuff on YouTube because you're amazing. You I love a Scottish accent. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Uh, this is not even like English. It's like a completely different language. So I'll send it to you and see what you think. See if you can kind of decipher any of it. Hey, Liam. We both read your book. Yes. Oh, did you? It's amazing. Thank you so much. We love your book. Good. I'm glad. It's amazing. And actually, you cover so much stuff in your book, considering you really it's quite know. a small book. Yeah. You know, you know, when I actually first wrote the book, it was a lot longer. And I, I was taking so long, like I'm too much of a like an overthinker and being anxious about it. And I was like deleting stuff and putting it back in. And then it went on for like so long. And I just thought, you know what? Like, because I had a lot of medical facts in it as well. And I ended up taking them out because I thought, well, people can already kind of that wasn't the point of the book. Like for me, like when I was diagnosed, they said, oh, you've got ulcerative colitis. And I didn't even heard of that, what that was before. Never mind, like, to actually have it. So when I went to go and research, everything online, I don't know about you, but when I typed in ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease or IBD, it was just medical stuff or, like, diet security. There was nothing like they said, oh, you're probably going to – nobody actually ever said to me, you're probably going to shake yourself, you know, like <laughs> – or, or, you know – you know that was, that conversation was never had, and I never read it anywhere either. So when it first kind of first kind of time I'd been in these positions where I was almost having an accident, I was thinking, "Oh, there's something wrong with me more than my colitis." You know, it's, you know, it's more like my personal issue. This must not happen to anybody. So I kind of wanted to write the book as a personal story for kind of new people being diagnosed as a kind of like you know a kind of thing to soften the blow and relate to, and you know, feel like they can kind of everybody else is going through it as well, and they're not alone. You did that amazingly because yeah. I think the start of the book in particular, you go into kind of that raw, transparent, literally step-by-step thing of how you feel like when you're, those cramps, you know, you were describing those cramps, liking them to someone being in labour, which yeah. I've always said as well. Like I've never had kids, but I remember nurses saying to me, Cass, if you ever if you ever have contractions, your breathing's like on point. You'll be yeah. fine it's like as a kid. And you describe like so many situations that I could relate to. And then mm-hmm. you go into obviously the medications and the kind of alternative therapies and stuff, which obviously Sarah and I love ourselves. So I just think it's a really, really good kind of holistic book as well, like looking at every kind of aspect of, of course, health yeah. and stuff. Well, I'm really glad. I really appreciate that. I'm glad you enjoyed reading it. Yeah, it's wicked. It's really, really wicked. And we were talking about it earlier, Sarah, weren't we? Because you were really interested in the what was the what was the thing that you were looking into in Australia? The same as Liam? Uh, yes, the fecal transplant. Oh yeah. I mean, I didn't do a huge amount of research. I only had a small bit because I know it wasn't approved in the UK. There was only some places, uh, some particular countries in Europe that it was kind of approved for. But now I'm reading a lot more things. I, I watched a video of the guy. Uh, I mean, this is all on social media, so you can take a pinch of salt. But this guy says that apparently um, the bacteria does more than just like make your gut healthier again. Apparently, they're thinking now that if you're somebody who becomes anxious and depressed easily, that it can, and you take the stool from somebody who's a non anxious, non depressed, like generally positive, happy person, it can actually have that effect on the person that's being transplanted to and change how they're mindset works as well all to do with the bacteria so that's i think so that's pretty amazing 
Yeah. I mean, doesn't, okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't a lot of like the serotonin or whatever happy chemical live in your stomach or something? I, I swear yeah, that something. Mean, yeah, I've heard something. I mean, they definitely call it your second, your second brain, do they, in your yeah. gut. So yeah, I imagine so. Because it is a thing here in Australia. They have it in Adelaide. There's a hospital that does it, but you have to be at a particular level. And like when I started investigating it a couple of years ago, I was too far gone. Um, I forget what stage I was at, but I was too sick. They were like, you need to be healthier. But then also because you're introducing new bacteria into your body, you have to take it from somebody that you spend a lot of time with. So like if you have a really healthy partner or like you still live at home with your family and your sibling or whoever um, is quite healthy, then you can do it, but you don't want to take it from a stranger or somebody that you haven't spent a significant amount of time with. So then it's like, okay, so you have to like hunt down the healthiest person in your life and make them live with you for a significant amount of time. No pressure. And then be like, can you shit in this jar so I can swallow it? Like essentially, I'm going to swallow it. That's so disgusting. <laughs> but really, they take it and they put it in like a pill form, I think. Um, at least I think that's what they do in Australia. And then you just swallow it. Or they'll do like the enema transplant or something. I don't know yeah. too much about it, but it is quite fascinating. And I know Canada is looking into it a bit more. I suspect within the next few years, it'll continue to grow. Because I have heard studies as well showing that they've taken a fecal matter transplant from a healthier sibling and putting it into an overweight sibling. And then the overweight sibling loses weight as well. Yeah. I just seen that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fascinating just how much it can do. I guess it just shows how much the bacteria in our stomach, the microbiome makes a difference on us. And I have a feeling maybe, I don't know. I'm just talking shit. I did go for drinks after work, but I I think. What time is it with you right now? Uh, 7 12 p.m. Oh, yeah. PM. not a.m. <laughs> it's acceptable. I, I know people we, we talk a lot about alcohol, Liam, but it's not that bad over there. I promise. <laughs> I do like mimosas, but I usually wait until at least like 9 10 o'clock in the morning. But <laughs> I do suspect that a lot of the antibiotics and things like that that we take over the years do have some kind of impact on our microbiome that then potentially lead to the types of diseases that we have. But I, I don't know. It's just a complete theory, but yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I hope they do something about it and start looking again, maybe approved in the UK, because even for the weight loss thing, like you said, that would be amazing if, you know, somebody who struggles to lose weight can uh, get a better metabolism or however it works with yeah. the transplant. So that Absolutely. would be a big So Liam, are you, on, are you on any medication now? Because I know you've been on a variety of meds before, because I know you yeah. go into kind of steroid use and stuff, don't you, in the book and your kind of side effects and that and everything. You describe those amazingly, by the way. Are you on anything at the moment? Yeah, so I'm still on, um, so I take immunosuppressant, it's a vibrant, I don't know if you know it, um, a tablet form, and I was in remission with it, which was amazing for like years up until last year when I got the, I went to go and get the COVID vaccine and it made me really ill, like, like took me out of remission, made me ill again, and I've, I've not really been right since, and um a little bit with the kind of like the kind of side effects of vasopiper as well has been really affecting me. So like loads of things, like I was getting like warts appearing in my finger and like losing my hair and like all these little things, but they were happening so much over the period throughout like kind of COVID. I eventually spoke to my consultant just at the end of last year and he's like, well, that doesn't sound good. Like you need to come off of it. So I've started tapering off it now. So I was on like something like 200 milligrams a day and now I'm down to like 100. Um, I'm going to wait here for a while, see what it is. And then I'm maybe going to try and come off it completely and see how long I can last without what um, 
I don't feel overly confident about that because you know you know how it is with IBD stuff. It's yeah, up and down. You worry, don't you? It's, and it's the catch twenty two, doesn't it? Isn't it? Because you you worry about coming off stuff or making changes to whether it's medication or nutrition, whatever it might be, and then that anxiety plays into it again, doesn't it? We know with our stomach. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think anytime that I'm anxious, my stomach will play up. I could be like having the healthiest, best week ever. And then if I'm in a position where I need to do something or I'm going to be in a position where I know I can't go to the toilet or I need to be somewhere at a certain time, everything starts like not working properly. Like I can't go to the toilet and I can't go. And then and then as soon as I need to be in the place I need to be, suddenly I really need to go, <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah, and there was a there's a part in your book that I absolutely love because I pissed myself because I was thinking of myself. And you made a really good point. You said, because obviously you you obviously used to go out a lot, you said you never used to think of like bars and restaurants and clubs and stuff in relation to their lose. Yeah. You didn't have to. But obviously after your diagnosis, you started to. And I was pissing myself laughing because you were talking about how like when you were having to hold the door with your foot closed, etc. Yeah. etc. And it's so true, isn't it? You think yeah. like, oh, I don't know if I want to go to that place because I still do that even now even when I'm classes being in remission I would still avoid going somewhere when I know that it's got terrible toilets because I just don't trust the whole yeah my bowels. you know that you know the places that have got big toilets as well because they're always quite safe and like you're happy because you can like camp up there can't you <laughs> yeah totally totally like I, I think if you go to places that are slightly more expensive they tend to have slightly better toilets and locks in the door and you know paper as well was, the amount of times I've been in there was lights. no paper. yeah or lights yeah and you're like in darkness with sat in a wet seat with you know, and stuff stuck to your leg just like pee and it's horrible but you know it's better than going in your underwear or your jeans and then having to go home it's so, so. true it's but I guess it's like anything though isn't it unless it impacts you you don't necessarily have to think about it Totally. And I think I mentioned a little bit of that in my book as well. Like I I was probably quite um, ignorant to people's illness and stuff before I got ill. Like I wouldn't, not in a nasty way. It's just that I didn't take interest, you know. I mean, the only thing that I've probably ever taken interest of were things like cancer because it's so infamous. Um, but actual specific kind of niche illnesses and stuff like IBD, I just didn't know nothing about it. Like when, when he told me about ulcerative colitis, I just thought, I don't, I've never heard of that before in my life. Not, not even once. Even when I thought of Crohn's disease, I thought, if I even heard of that, I don't even think I had. It was just like completely all new to me. And then suddenly this world opened and I realized so many people had it and people around me and people like I met. And I thought, God, it's crazy. There was actually a guy, a guy, a guy I worked with. I've worked on and off with him for years, like years and years and years. And it wasn't until quite recently he says, oh, like, I've got ulcerative colitis as well. Like I heard you go out and I take, and he say, he's on the same medication stuff and we worked together for years and I never told him and he never told me. It's like, how strange is that? And it just makes me wonder how many other people are suffering around me that I don't know about. And I think it's like a combination, isn't it? It's like a hidden illness, number one. And also because I still think like Sarah and I will talk about this, like there is still like stigma around things like this, isn't there? Like people don't want to talk about an illness where you shit a lot or yeah. you know, whatever it might be that you experience personally and yeah so I think it's just that double one and guys isn't it me and Sarah said it's 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 really interesting to see how many girls open up about it versus guys we've noticed oh well I talk about also time I, when I started my Instagram page I think I've got I can't I don't know maybe a couple of thousand people on it now a couple of thousand followers maybe a follow three thousand and I, the majority of them are women and it's because like I just feel like 
I think there is a slight, I think the stats are slightly more women get IBD than than, than males. Um, but it seems to be females who want to open up and have Instagram pages and join social media and speak about it, whereas the, the men kind of don't. Um, and I, I don't know why that is, to be honest. I think, I don't know if men struggle with the whole talking thing more, maybe. I think so. Yeah, I, I think especially with health as well. Yeah. Guys genuinely don't really talk about health, do they? Because guys are guys. They don't want to talk about health stuff. It's a tough, tough guy thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Like, they're less likely to go to GPs, aren't they? Like the stats around that are huge. Like you guys are less likely to go and access like health services. You just kind of deal with it. Yeah. yeah that's the yeah. thing, isn't it? Until something really bad happens. So I think that like plays into it loads. Well, I did. You know, when I, the first few years before I was diagnosed was, up there with the worst of it because I was like bleeding and stuff on a you know pretty much daily basis and extreme bloating and cramps to the point where I couldn't sleep and like I couldn't have a normal life and I was going to the doctor and he said no you're there's nothing wrong with you and I was like what like and I was like am I being like I need to be more manly and just deal with this you know and then I would ignore it and just suffer and suffer and suffer you know for a week or two and to the point where I had to give in and go back to the doctor and then it was the same again it kind of gave me a small reset and I'll start again it's just nothing yeah I definitely that was a problem of feeling like I couldn't you know just cry and go help me you know what I mean? yeah kind of, for sure because how long did it take you in the end to get your diagnosis because you were back quite yeah you were there and back quite a lot weren't you yeah I think I was three or four years in total um and it it was crazy because I it all started I kind of came back from a holiday in Spain I think it was like my day the day after I got home I was like I remember I had these bad cramps and then like I said in the book I ran the toilet you know all this stuff happened I felt weird and this kept happening and I was in hospital they said it was gastroenteritis and then I came home from hospital and two days later I was bleeding again. They're like, oh, it's just a gastroenteritis. But then like two days later I was bleeding again. And they were like, oh, it's still just that. And this went on. And then it got to the point where the stop saying it was gastroenteritis and they said it was all in my head and there was nothing wrong with me. And I was like, but I'm bleeding. Like, so they, when I say that, they would take blood tests and then they would, I would call back and say, oh, we can't find anything. There was nothing wrong with you. And I, I, like, I pushed and pushed and pushed for like, I think it was like a year, like of pretty much going into the doctor and in hospital sometimes as well. It was really bad, like in the middle of the night, went to A&E. I went did that for about a year. And then um, eventually I got a colonoscopy. And annoyingly, they done the colonoscopy and said that there was no inflammation. There was nothing wrong there. And I was like, what? You know what I mean? It's like I was bleeding and in severe pain for like a long period of time. So this went on and on and on. I think it was like, yeah, I think it must have been around three years, maybe slightly more. I went and got another colonoscopy and I've gotten a private clinic. Not that it makes a difference, but I just happened to go to a private clinic and um, they basically did the colonoscopy straight away. And like within like five minutes of me leaving the room or something, he came back and says, oh, look, you've got ulcerative colitis straight away. And I was like, oh, wow. So at least I was actually happy because at least I had a diagnosis, you know, I knew like, what I do and he says we can start treatment straight away and I was like oh amazing like my life's going to go back to normal but yeah it didn't go back to normal unfortunately so yeah yeah gosh that's such a long time and do you know what it's really interesting everyone we've spoken to no one has had a straightforward diagnosis journey everyone has been either made to feel like they're kind of losing the plot a bit because they're having these symptoms that yeah there's something else 
or they're kind of directed down a different route and by no means you know we're bashing the clinicians or anything because we know there's so many different symptoms but it's insane the kind of the times that people are like waiting as such to get this diagnosis and like you said it as soon as you get that diagnosis you kind of have that anxiety relief don't you because you're like okay now maybe I can have some solutions to this diagnosis totally I can remember one time I had seen I was very I often didn't have the same GP, so I was going to a different one. Like every time I go and I call and I get an appointment, I go in, it's like somebody new, like I don't know, I've never met before. This one time I had the same guy three times in a row. And I remember on the third occasion, he actually like kind of raised his voice, like almost shouted at me and he's like, what do you want me to do? And I was like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm bleeding and bloated and in cramps. He says, well, I've done the blood test. You've had a call on speed. There's nothing wrong with you. And I was like, what am I even meant to respond to that? Because he's right. He was, he was saying, you know, he's done everything he can. But at the same time, I was like, how can somebody ignore the fact that I'm bleeding every day and then having cramps? Like, surely that isn't normal. And I kind of tried to say that to him and he kind of just shrugged and I kind of got up and left. And I was like, I think I didn't go back for a long time after that. And I was like really ill, like cramps and bleeding. And I just, I didn't see the point in phoning. So I just kind of sat at home suffering and, um, or trying to go to work suffering, which was even harder. It was definitely a tough journey leading up to diagnosis. Well, that's really horrible, isn't it? Because like, like you said, that reaction from that clinician stopped you from wanting or stopped you probably having the confidence of picking up the phone or going back. Of course, it's yeah. It's horrible for everyone to go through. Yeah, it's really tough. Wow, that's so traumatizing. And you were quite yeah. healthy up until you got sick. Totally. Quite fit, healthy, everything was going well in your career. As I feel like that's a trend, probably because the age that most people get diagnosed in their late 20s. Yeah. Your career's taking off, things are going hopefully to plan, and then all of a sudden it like hits you. Yeah, totally. How you old were, were you when you got diagnosed, Liam? Sorry, yeah. sir. No, go ahead. Uh, I think... I think when I saw when I first started getting ill, I was around 2021. And then I think I was diagnosed in like 24, 25, kind of roughly that age. I actually forget exactly. It's quite a monumental time in my life. You think I'd remember, but I can't. It was around 24 or 25. But, Put it yeah. to the back of your mind, mate. That's yeah. what you want to forget. Yeah, but, but, yeah but you're right. I was really, I mean, I was, I used to, there was days where I'd get up and I'd run in the morning and then I'd lift weights at lunchtime and then I had uh, like Muay Thai at night as well. Like, you know, I'd train three times in the day. Like, and then I was also like working offshore and, you know, I was, I was as active as an active person can be, you know, I'd probably play five-side football quite often, like, you know, once a week as well around that point. And I couldn't have envisioned my life, you know, so dramatically changing. Um, yeah, it's, it's not great. You know now, Liam, with regards to how you kind of are this current day, I know in your book you went through your your kind of things that don't help you. So I know you said like sugar, for example, alcohol, stress, those sort of things really, really impact you. Do you find that they still impact you now when you're a little bit more settled, as it were, with your health? And how do you kind of manage those things now to kind of reduce them impacting your life? I've got a bit of a a sweet tooth. I've got an addiction to sugar, so... uh... Uh, especially chocolate. I've got a real addiction to chocolate. I try and eat chocolate. I probably eat chocolate every day, at least even just a little bit. I feel like you did a poll or something on Instagram recently about chocolate. I'm the same. I'm addicted. I suspect it. <laughs> I'm going to blame that on ulcerative colitis as well. We'll just blame everything. Heart <laughs> <laughs> problems and chocolate so. addiction. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's the magnesium. That's what's in chocolate, right? I think dark chocolate has something like that. We're getting our vitamins. Yeah. (laughs) You have your chocolate every day. What about your booze? Can you still drink or not? 
I well, you know what? I, I did for a long time, but I was always really ill. Like I thought it was maybe as I was getting older, like my hangovers would go from mild to severe to like two days, you know. And now like when I drink, I'm really not well. So I think I'm gonna have to kind of stop. I mean, I don't drink often anyway. I mean, I probably somebody drinks a handful of times in a year, you know, like on special occasions. And I'm not somebody who will just sit at home and like have some beers or a bottle of wine or something at home. I just don't really do it. It's normally if like somebody's birthday or a wedding or you know one of these kind of things the big one for me i can't eat at all is like and i really enjoy it is like indian food you know like if i go for like a curry even not, well yeah but even not even like extreme spice even if i go for a korma and a naan bread and something it does something to my like my insides and i'm not well for a couple of days i don't know if it's like the, the herbs they use or what it is but yeah Indian food really affects me a lot. Um, yeah, so I definitely say Indian food and alcohol the worst. Sugar isn't great, but I still have it anyway, and I kind of just face the consequences. You don't do that, you think, oh, this is a sugar food, but I'm gonna have it anyway because. Yeah. You well, know. you find something, don't you, that you know you can kind of tolerate. Yeah. It's still gonna <laughs> give you that kind of buzz of some sort, isn't it? Yeah, totally. I understand totally. <laughs> <laughs> what's your things i uh me stress 100 percent. yeah like if i'm stressed i could same as you like if i could if i'm um, like having the best week ever not even so much as a cramp everything's fine toilet wise if i'm stressed my stomach will just turn within hours yeah um, and that yeah annihilates me and then i i'm just really bad with wheat so i have like gluten-free stuff but weirdly i'm all right with other gluten containing products it's just wheat wheat just makes me really really unwell so i stay away from that and all jokes aside i know like many of the podcasts i'm usually hung over telling a funny story but liam i haven't drank for what nearly six weeks now at this time of recording and i noticed such a difference with my stomach which is so depressing oh yeah (laughs) What it's like when Sarah's like, you're so boring now, you're not drinking. <laughs> it's like a better sweet discovery that, is it? It is, honestly. But yeah. the thing is, I've got, in April, I've got like um, a stag do, a hen do, and two weddings coming up. So, you know, the, yeah. the no booze will be going out of the window. Yeah. So hopefully my wonderful co-host will think I'm entertaining slightly again. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I have noticed it does. No alcohol has just made my stomach just settled like so much i'm actually amazed that anybody who has ibd who can drink alcohol happily i always like really there is a few people i know and i'm just always fascinated by it because yeah you know anytime i drink alcohol my stomach starts to play up like yeah. really bad um, and i'm the same same as you like i i've never been like a wine or beer drinker after work that's just not me whatsoever and i've never been like that you know some people it's just a habit getting home from work having a drink yeah. i've never been like that so it's same as you like it's always been like an event yeah, or something on a weekend or whatever. But yeah, it just it just annihilates me, mate. <laughs> totally, totally, I feel you. Just and what's your say? Because you you've got um, quite quite similar ones to me, I guess as well. Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, obviously, no gluten at all, and then I don't do any dairy at all. But that's been a long time running. Uh, since I was like eighteen, I gave up dairy, and then. A stress definitely gets to me and I'm always conscious of that. But then as soon as I start getting stressed out, I get stressed out that I am getting stressed out. I'm like, no, I can't be stressed out. It's going to get me sick. But then I'm like stressed out about that fact. Yeah, it's not healthy. It's a vicious cycle. Um, And then pretty much any food. I feel like I just cannot win lately. I, unless I'm eating white rice, even last night I had white rice and this morning I was sick. 
Um, so yeah, I really, I haven't figured that one out, but it fluctuates. Obviously I have good times. Um, I don't know when, but at some point, <laughs> I swear <laughs> at some point that. I could eat more food. But... So glad you came on. <laughs> <laughs> I swear at some point I could eat food, but, uh, recently I feel like every time I'm like, okay, I've got this, like I can eat something different. And then I do, yeah. and I just yeah I suffer for it but I think you yeah. get Liam I don't know about you though I, get, I think I know when we've spoken to other people before you do get it sounds really bad and it's not acceptable by any means but you do get used to feeling quite shit sometimes but you just oh, move on and I hate yeah. saying crack on because I don't I'm not meaning to like undermine people's symptoms by any means but you do don't you I think especially if you like you said you play loads of sport and you work and do x y instead i think sometimes you you're so used to either feeling knackered or going to the loo loads or having those cramps bloating whatever it might be for you particularly you do get used to it as well and you use you get used to functioning feeling like that yeah i mean i think you actually forget about what the norm your normal okay was before you were ill like and because it happened over such a long period of time i can't even compare it because i was so much younger and i would have changed anyway so now this new okay is just what i expect to be as normal you know um even remission i mean i say i'm in remission because stop bleeding and having mucus and all the horrible stuff that comes along with it and my frequency came down to maybe two or three times a day rather than like uncontrollably but it's still not i still don't class my remission as me being back to normal healthy it's not like your life's changed completely it's more just about the fact that you can manage it and and then get on with life while managing it you know without it completely torturing you work-wise now liam so you're working flat out training again flat out yeah kind of had a lot of yeah pretty much i mean i still have when i do cardio like if i run or do any cardiovascular stuff it makes me need to need to go to the toilet like and i kind of been like that i think before i was ill as well does that this isn't an excuse not to do cardio (laughs) when he does cardio No, but I've I said this one in like one of our season one episodes. Cardio makes me sick. Like it fucks my stomach up. I can do I'll happily like lift weights and stuff like that. But any like intense cardio, I don't know what it is. Do you know why? No, I mean it does the same to me as well. I've no idea. I mean, it certainly gets your blood pumping a lot. I don't know if it's to do with the blood flow or you know to your gut. And um, but I mean I used to use that. Like if I if I had something on that day, I used to like go and get up in the morning go for a run and run like really intense and then come home and drink like a big coffee you know all these things that would like stimulate my bowels and then I would like run to the toilet and then I would feel like I was more empty and ready to go and do the thing I had to do you know whereas if I hadn't done that I sometimes I try and go and I can't go and like at least that kind of forces the whole process <laughs> if you know what I mean strategic and I think I like it's it. well <laughs> It, it, and it's good that it's a good routine because you know you're at home as well or wherever you're working or whatever yeah. you know you've got the comfort of your loo because like, that's really important to us isn't it <laughs> oh it is really is important that, that's one of the hard things about working i think about working away at least uh, get a taxi go to the helicopter you get suited up in these survival suits to get in the helicopter and then there's this period of time between before your suit goes on until the time your suit goes off and you've landed in the rig and you've got your stuff off and ready it's over in like maybe an hour and a half at least so if you're in a position where your stomach is not great it's it's a horrible experience because there's no so there's no toilets in the helicopter you're all crammed in like 
it's uh, Liam, can you explain to everyone listening what you do because i think everyone's going to wonder if you're james bond otherwise <laughs> <laughs> you know what i remember I, I put a poll up a little while ago and people were like some some people messaged saying they didn't even realize that things existed you know like they did it, and i thought well that's where oil comes from you know that's how you put cars and plastic and you know everything and um, so basically um i work on an oil production platform in the North Sea. So it's, it's roughly halfway between Scotland and Norway. Um, I think it's around 60, 70, maybe 80 miles just off the coast of Aberdeen, northeast. So it's basically a platform that produces oil and gas from subsea, from un, un, under the sea. And then we produce it up and it comes to uh, various like process of equipment and it gets separated into more pure oil and more pure gas and then it the gas gets pumped online and the onshore sorry and, and the oil goes to a different place on shore and they go to refineries and the refineries do things with the oil and gas and make them into products like petrol and diesel and different kind of oils for things and do you have a word with them about the prices at the moment or not well <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's not great is it I always think as well, do you know, it's like when the price of oil goes up, fuel goes up. And then when the price of oil goes down, fuel doesn't really go down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just finds a new like base level, doesn't it? Exactly. But no, that's, uh, and that's an incredible job. And how long have you done it for? Oh, my whole life, since I was uh, 20, pretty oh, much. Wow. It's 14 years I've been doing it now. It's great. I think it's um, it is a great job. You get to meet loads of new people, and you know, it sounds quite exciting. But the novelty does wear off a little bit because you're away from your family and your friends and stuff for long periods of time. You know, like you know, spend maybe two weeks away from people, and, like miss weddings and birthdays, and it's not it's not easy. It's not for everyone. And I know a lot of people who because it, it's quite a well paid job. You know, you get like above the kind of average kind of wage for um, that, that people who do like that kind of technical stuff. And it's uh, people who've been desperate to get in before and then they get the job and they go away and they go, oh, I can't deal with this being away from home. You know, it's... I think it's working away from home is like Marmite, isn't it? You either love it or hate it. Yeah, yeah. You get a lot of ex-military people who work offshore, you know, like like people who've been in the Navy or Marines and stuff because they're used to this thing of like... And and it's very similar because you're away from home, you've got a set ritual, like, you know, of how you're going through your day, everything's structured, you've got structured meal times, you've got everything's like it's kind of regimented and i think a lot of people kind of take to that quite well sure. if that's been a previous lifestyle yeah yeah that's what you know isn't it so mm-hmm. it fits in well i know you mentioned it in the book as well so you went through your diagnosis journey whilst doing this job as well didn't you and then you yeah. were off sick yeah you speak quite openly about how people didn't necessarily understand when you were off sick you were really, really ill, but you were trying to kind of improve your health and well-being by going to the gym, seeing your friends, yeah. socialising, and it was kind of queried, wasn't it? In a no, totally, way. totally. I mean, um, certainly in the, in the company I work with now, they were really good. Like they let me come on shore and like um, work in the office for a while. Like you know, they were great. But there was definitely improvements I think companies can make because you know there was a point where I think we'd made arrangements for me to work in office, and then. I think somebody called me and says, oh, like, we need you to come in now. And I was like, well, I'm still too ill even to come in the office. So like, oh, but you're not going away. You're coming in the office. I'm like, yeah, but I've still got to drive from my house to, like, the office, which wasn't far, by the way. It was, like, you know, uh, 15 minutes in the car, maybe 10 minutes in the car. But for somebody who's in the middle of an extreme flare-up, like, 
dealing with people socially and actually working in an office is too much as it is. Never mind the whole process of trying to get there and not having access to a toilet and trying to explain that to somebody who just doesn't get it is, you know, it's like almost arguing with an idiot. It's just like there's no point in even opening your mouth because they don't they don't get it. They don't understand. And sometimes I felt like the more I tried to explain it, the, the, the worse it was coming across and your marriage not saying anything and either, you know, just... Not going in or just going in and trying to deal with it. And a lot of times I end up just going in and trying to deal with it. And uh, it made it quite hard, I would say. I mean, there was times I remember when I was sat at my desk and I think at the time I became really anemic because of the blood loss. And I was like struggling to keep my eyes open and stuff. And like I was kind of falling asleep during the day a little bit. Like I felt myself yawning and actually getting really tired, even though I'd done like 10 hours sleep or something the night before. And I was like sat at my desk and I remember somebody saying, well, you need like somebody who was like a an authoritative kind of figure whoever you know within my kind of department said oh you need to get your bed earlier kind of thing basically telling me like you know you can't be being tired and I was like all right and I just I nodded and I agreed but knowing inside I was like well I've been you know I've had a great sleep you know it's not like I was stayed up late um, that's what that's what you said they said wasn't it because you, oh, yeah. you were talking before um we saw you this morning Liam and Sarah's not felt too well recently hope you don't mind me saying Sarah and you've been sleeping like 10 hours a night haven't you and it's just not enough yeah I uh, I finally finally have booked in a doctor's appointment for next week but uh yeah no that's exactly it I've been sleeping I literally get up go to work come home go to bed and I'm like seven o'clock I'm ready for bed and I will sleep nine to ten hours every night and yet during the afternoons at work by like two o'clock I'm like okay I'm ready for bed I can't do yeah. this. I really, yeah. I live off of But Liam, you made a really good point in your book. You, you, and I love this sentence. You said, if you were wearing a cast over your leg, you think people would have understood more. Totally. Yeah, I think that's that so would. true. Yeah, I remember like there's been so many occasions where I feel like people weren't really believing I was ill or they couldn't really yeah. see it when you're trying to explain it to them. I remember once, like during like a really bad flare up, and I, I was at home. I think I hadn't left my house for like something like 10 days, 11 days. I mean, I couldn't get off it. I actually set up this little table in my bathroom and put my laptop on it and was watching movies, sat in the toilet because I, like, as soon as I got off the toilet and got to the sofa, literally within 20, 30 seconds, my stomach would start cramping. I would need to go again. And just, it was just blood. There was, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't actually needing to go to the toilet, but it was just to get rid of the blood. So I just sat in my toilet watching movies, you know, like on some days. And it just seems like crazy, but it was like the only thing I had at the time. We've all been there, Liam. It's fine. That's a brilliant yeah. idea. <laughs> So I remember the doctor or my consultant, whoever had said to me, look, you can eat, try and get, get fresh, drink, get walking, it's going to help you. So I was like, well, I can't, there's no way I'm going to risk going for a walk and being really far from my house and it comes on. So I thought, well, what about the gym? And I thought, because I could probably drive to the gym within 10 minutes and there's a toilet there. And then if I'm on the treadmill or whatever I'm doing, there's a toilet so close that it's not like being out for a walk and I've got to like, you know, run back to my house. It's just right there. So that's great. And I remember I went to the gym and I was like walking on the treadmill or whatever. And somebody came in uh, worked in the office, the same place as me. And they said, oh, I thought you were all sick. And I was like, well, I am. And they kind of just paused and looked at me and kind of smirked. And, and as if I was like, you know, kind of taking the piss or something. Yeah. And then I was like, I didn't know what to say. I felt my face go red because I was like, oh, I'm getting embarrassed as if I'm guilty, as if I'm doing something wrong here. But obviously I wasn't. Um, and then about, they must have went and told people that they'd seen me in the gym and word had got around and I got a call from somebody to say, oh, we need you to come into the office. And I was like, I'm too ill. And they're like, well, you know, 
or what a second opinion on that would need to come in kind of thing. And I just thought, like, what what world do we live in where somebody's saying, like, I'm too ill to come to work? Would you want to force them to come to work? It just doesn't make sense. I mean, if I was an employer and I had a business and one of my employees says, I'm really unwell, I can't come in, I wouldn't want them in. Like you, you want them to recover, and like on a long-term strategy for your business, do you want your employees to be as well? Back, don't you? That's it. At the end of the day, yeah, totally. So whatever recovery they need, you kind of facilitate that so that they come come back as kind of near to hundred percent as possible, isn't it? Totally. And and I, I think you know if I called up and says, look, I fell down a set of stairs and broke my leg, or I was in a car crash, put my head open, or I fell and I broke my wrist, they say, oh god, stay home, get better soon. Which is nowhere near the serious as IBD. To be honest, it isn't. You know, but if you had that, or if I rolled in the office in a wheelchair covered in bandages, they would go, well, what are you doing here? You need to go home. But because on the outside, you kind of look semi okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's that, it's that internal bleeding thing. Sarah said this when we were interviewing her old boss recently. Sarah had obviously, had obviously really, really bad internal bleeding. And, you know, you said, didn't you, Sarah? You know, if only it was external bleeding, other people might understand <laughs> that it's really serious. You know, if it was the external. So true. external. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think wow. Anne said that. He's like, if only you were bleeding externally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, anyway. I'll work on that. How are your friends and family with dealing with the diagnosis? Yeah, so this is one, this is probably one of my um, biggest issues, I would say, because I kept everything to myself. Like, I didn't tell people. Like, I think that my family knew I had stomach problems, but I didn't really tell them to the extent it was I was suffering. You know, I mean, there was times, if I said it, at some points I was extremely depressed, I'd be understating it. I was to the point where, like, you know, I didn't even want to be alive at some points because I was so down, you know, like, can't leave my house, so ill, in extreme pain, can't sleep, doctors tell me there's nothing wrong now, you know, like, and even when I did get diagnosed and I started getting medication that wasn't working, I thought, oh, well, we've tried everything now, you know, this is my life, and I thought I'm not going to be able to have a career, I'm not going to be able to have anything, you know, I'm just going to be on my own, like, it was a horrible place to be, and instead of reaching out for help, I kind of just pretended everything was okay to people around me, Um especially like my friends and stuff. Cause I mean, even now, even after the book's been published, there's still a lot of my friends who think I've got bad IBS. Like, there's, <laughs> there's, like it's just, it's crazy really. And, and trying to explain to people just how ill I was, I just don't think people get it. How serious it is to have, you know, Crohn's colitis. It's, it's such like a, a life destroying illness. And because I've acted so like, you know, I kind of grew up in a rough area and it's a lot of my friends are tough and like, you know, it's just like this is like a thing where I didn't want them to feel weird around me. So I pretend everything was completely okay and like act like manly and yeah, I'm fine. And really I was going home and absolutely dying. You know, I'd spend an hour with them and I go home and I'm like, oh, I can't, you know, I have to take a week off of rest after putting on this facade for a period of time. So I think that it was hard managing all that just purely because I wasn't wanting to speak about it. Um, so kind of guy similar age to you when you got diagnosed, what advice would you give them? There's two things I would say. The first thing is to find someone that you can trust, that you can speak to, who can listen to you. Because I think if I just had even one person who understood the disease that I could speak to openly, that I trusted, I'd have felt 10 times better. But because I was kind of on my own, I didn't really speak about it. Um, and especially now, since I've discovered this online community with Instagram and stuff, of people like, I'm be so supportive. Like I'll put up a post sometimes and I'll get like 40, 50 people replying to me and you know I can't even keep up with the messages whereas before I didn't have anybody to speak to and I think if I'd seen all this I would probably feel a lot better about the whole thing 
Secondly, I'd probably say to believe that everything will work out in the end. You know, like there's always light at the end of the tunnel and it might not work out as you think it's going to work out, but it will work out. And because there were times when everything was terrible for me, I thought, God, this is my life now. Like not being able to leave my house, sat in the toilet for the rest of my life, no career, you know, give up everything in my life that's important to me. And then slowly everything kind of came back. Um, but I certainly didn't believe at the time. And that's so and true, bit, isn't it? Like, yeah. It, yeah, you know, because like some medications won't work and it's not to think that other medications won't work. Some nutritional plans won't work, but others might work, you know, so it's to, to not kind of give up when one avenue doesn't work for you, isn't it? Totally. And you know what? It's a vibrant the first time I took it didn't work. And then it made me achieve remission the kind of second time around. I mean, I think I got into remission and then I suddenly just got ill again. I thought, oh, well, I wasn't in remission. I was just a temporarily, you know, feeling better. Now I'm back in a flare. And then we kind of just persevered with it and I did get into remission eventually and so there was probably people who might give up you know after the first attempt so I, I would definitely say just keep going and believe that things are going to work out. Do you do anything else alternative now Liam because I know in your book you kind of touched on yoga and meditation to kind of work on your anxiety but you you were quite honest and open weren't you that you know it helped there and then but you didn't think it helped bigger picture wise yeah, yeah is there anything else that you kind of do or I do I try to do like meditation and breathing stuff and like to keep the stress down I mean I don't think it has that has a direct effect on my colitis symptoms but definitely if you can keep your stress levels down then your stress also has an effect on the kind of symptoms so that helps but yeah, I tried so many different things like juicing and yoga and everything you could possibly think of. Um, I mean, I, I was speaking to this guy who claims like he's had people cure cancer and stuff before from his methods of like supplementation. It maybe works for some people and I wouldn't want to like offend anyone because I know some people have definitely made lifestyle choices that have improved their condition. But for me, in the height of a flare, I mean, even now when I get up in the morning and have a glass of water, my stomach bloats up straight away. Oh, wow. And, and especially in the height of a flare, I mean, even... If I didn't eat or drink nothing all day, I was still in pain at night. So I don't see how a different type of food was going to make that go away. You know, if, if you're inflamed and you're also, you know. All, when you're that pain. ill, like, I'm yeah. the same as you. You can't, well, Sarah's the same. You can't eat anything. And you I know exactly. people, you know, especially clinicians and nutritionists will say, don't ever, you know, restrict yourself. But actually there are some days where, same as you, I, I can't even have a cup of tea because yeah. you just feel so ill. Totally. You know what, as well, <laughs> the healthy foods, like the fruit and veg and, and porridge oats as well. They make, oats make me really ill. They affect my colitis bad. Fruit and veg isn't always amazing for me. Uh, but if I have a, like a bit of toast or something, that tends to be really good. For, like I feel great with that. And even plain. You know, some things that are meant to be bad, they're actually okay for me. Yeah, 100%. But counterintuitive. We interviewed someone recently and they they made a really good point. They were talking about going to an IBD um, nutritionist as opposed to a nutritionist. And we were like, that's a really good point, actually, because a nutritionist would probably tell you everything to eat, you know, to yeah. fruits and veg and proteins totally. and carbs. But actually, for us, it, it doesn't work like that, does it? You know, even no. when you are in remission, like I said to Sarah, when I was really ill recently, I, I don't know whether it was this green juice I drank or, you know, the stress I had. You, I just I just don't know. And he made a good point. He was a doctor. He was amazing to interview. And he just said an IBD specialist nutritionist or dietitian is the way forward because they understand that you can't incorporate all of these vitamins and nutrients and minerals and stuff. They just know you can't. So they'll they'll tweak your kind of nutrition plan accordingly to your IBD. And it's I, sometimes you don't think like that. And those are Resources aren't necessarily available to us, are they? 
No. And have you ever have you ever spoken with anyone that's IBD, like a nutritionist, like specialist? I've never come across that. We it was really interesting. Me and Sarah said the exact same thing. Like I, I've obviously had my Crohn's since I was what 12, 13, so like 25 years or longer than that. And I've never been referred to a nutritionist or dietitian, like ever, to look at my kind of nutrition or anything. I did it all myself. But yeah, I didn't know there was any IBD specialist like nutritionists or dietitians until I started exploring things for this podcast and noticed there were quite a few specialists out there. Wow. Okay. I might actually look into that. It's really interesting. I really considered it before. Definitely. Is there anything else you would like to advise anyone or discuss? I mean, another thing I would (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you had a, a good story in the book other side of the road yeah the, yeah that was a good story with the the, the car you know and i had to pull over kind of thing the guy <laughs> having a next to me i mean it was horrible i don't even know why because i haven't i really like a, it's terrible but i like i make like a mcmuffin you know the mcdonald's breakfast buns right i don't know why i just really love them and i would i just i know they're trigger food but i couldn't help myself so i thought i'll be okay i'll just have one and i managed to get to Glasgow, wherever I was going, and it was literally within two minutes of eating that. I was, oh no, I'm away to shit myself here. And the next service station, I seen the sign, it was like five miles. And I thought, I can't even go, you know, a mile here. I'm going to, I'm going to absolutely shit myself in the car while I'm driving. And, I, and then I seen this little bit to pull over, and I thought, great. So I went to pull over, and then this guy pulled over at the same time. And I went to get out of the car, and he got out of the car to them. And I was like, oh no, like, what am I going to do? And I tried to wait, and I thought, uh, I'm going to have to just go. And I mean, it was only like, a, he was only 20 feet away from me when I got in the car and I, well, he was, they were peeing against a fence and I was like, came up the fence to, and he, as if I was away to pee as well. And he kind of looked at me and says, oh, you, when you've got to go, you've got to go. And I went, yeah. And I just pulled down my jeans and started <laughs> took a shit like in like in, in, in the grass in front of him and all these cars were going past and this guy like didn't know where to look and then uh he just kind of got back in his car and left and i remember thinking uh you know just you have to laugh because it's uh what else and also liam five miles to us with an ivd is like 55 do you know what I mean? Like everyone listening might think five miles, that's nothing. That's nothing, yeah. Yeah, it's it's literally the longest journey ever, five miles. I, I remember when I was a kid, like if I needed if I needed a toilet, I would say, oh no, I'll wait till I get home tonight. Or, you know, like you could almost just make a decision, like, no, I'll yeah. wait till later kind of thing tonight. Or, um, you know, and now it's just like when I need to go, like I have like a few minutes to find a toilet and then it's, uh, yeah. And you start to feel really ill. I don't know about you two, but like if you really, really need to go and you're really unwell, like I, like, I literally get the sweats. Yes. And I can't concentrate and like my legs will go funny and I'll literally, I literally feel like I'm going to pass out. I don't know if anyone else gets that. No, I'm the same, totally. <laughs> it's horrendous. And you told a really good story as well, which I really related to about bumping into a friend you hadn't seen for years in a pub. Yeah. And they obviously wanted to talk for ages, and you were like, "Oh my god, your stomach yeah. was cramping." No, like I didn't want to be impolite because you kept speaking. So, oh, have you seen this person? I was <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god!" And I was like, "I was needing to get away," and I was, I could, I could actually feel like a bead of sweat coming down my forehead. And I was thinking, "Oh my god, he's going to think I'm so weird here," you know, by not like engaging. And, and I kept like going to step away, and he would say something else. And I was, I was too polite to like say, "I need to go." Yeah. 
And that's the problem when it's like at work or someone you don't know as well as one of your like closest mates, isn't it? Because if it's one of my closest mates, I'm like, I gotta go, I need a shit. Like get out of my way. But oh, yeah. if it's someone you haven't seen for ages, it's a bit awkward, isn't it? Yeah, you, you know as well, like I, I don't think I put this in the book, but there was a, I mean, it's not a great story. I was at work, I was offshore on the rig and it was, I think it was before my diagnosis and I'd already been to the toilet like two times that morning and and I think my, I said to my supervisor, I need to go to the toilet. And he was no, you can't go. You've been twice. And he was like, he was like, you actually said, are you taking the piss out of me or something? You know, something like that. And, I'm, oh, no. and we were actually like, we were connecting this like pipe work up together, like big heavy iron pipe work. And like you put this thing on and hit it with a sledgehammer to like tighten it. So I was like going like this and then move my hands away. And he was hitting it with the sledgehammer. By this point, I was, I was like close to sh- shit myself. I like moments left and my stomach was cramping but he, he didn't want me to go and I was like I can't just walk away so I'm like you know pacing back and forth and sweating and you know how you, you get into this position where you're almost your legs start moving and you start like fidgeting to kind of like take the, the focus off of the gut well I was fidgeting so much for some reason I just grabbed the thing just for something to do as he was swinging the sledgehammer he managed to pull it back so it didn't destroy my thumb but it still broke my finger like oh. whacking my nail my thumb was like huge and he was like you know you're an idiot you know like shouting and screaming at me but I couldn't explain to him that you were gonna shit yourself. what was going on <laughs> and he, you know I I actually said sorry I need the toilet I think I said later on sorry I was needing the toilet so bad I couldn't focus and he was like well what's wrong with you and I, I didn't know and I was like I don't know and he kind of just looked at me like I was like a weirdo and I thought oh no you know just so many things like that have happened before yeah it's the oh, worst and you do and it's again one of those things because it's going to the loo you just feel really awkward talking about it don't you and like you said man to man as well it's even worse totally yeah and people just don't understand like they have no idea unless they've experienced it themselves I honestly don't know how you did it working on a rig like that and being sick like I honestly could not imagine I don't either to be honest looking back and I think now that I've like I'm slightly maturer and got a bigger you know kind of understand of what people go through if I was going through that now I would just you know I'm not I'm not you know anytime I'm on now I'd say I'm not going can't go or and you just that's a confidence I'm, thing as well Liam Oh, big time. Yeah, it's all to do with the confidence because, I mean, initially I didn't even have a diagnosis. So I couldn't phone and say, I can't go because I'm ill and say, what's wrong with you? And I had to say, I don't know. But now that I've spoken to so many people and seen what other people go through, I think the best thing for you, I mean, your health is your wealth, is it? I like that saying, health is wealth. It's so true. Because if you've not got that, you can't do anything. You've got nothing in life, really. So uh, you've got to look after that. And I think so. I think now, if I'm ever in that position again, I just say, no, I can't come to work or I can't go to this event or I can't meet you in this, you know, social things as well. I just say no. Well, we all say that. So don't you get more confident as you get older saying no, if you don't want to do something, you don't want to hang around with that person. And I think so. With illness, isn't it? The longer you've had something, sometimes you're more used to dealing with those situations. And you've got those coping mechanisms, dealing with those awkward conversations, and you're just more confident dealing with it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. This is my favorite quote from your book, Liam. Yeah. <laughs> that every single person you meet is on a journey. Never judge someone on how they appear to you. There is more than meets the eye. Yeah, I thought that rounded it off great. I loved it. I had to say thank it. you so That's much. My favorite bit. I've actually started writing book two as well, by the way. <gasps> yeah, you're amazing. Yeah. So what will book two be about? Just so we can obviously so, let everyone know. 
So what I feel like a lot of the medical stuff, I didn't really explain what inflammatory bowel disease was in a medical sense before. It's more a personal story. So I'm going to include a bit more about different types of clients and Crohn's and uh, a bit more about treatments and stuff. And I also want to speak a lot about the psychological aspect of it because it's never discussed during my diagnosis or at any point throughout my treatments or conversations with doctors that I'd, you know, that I'd probably suffer mentally with this disease you know i don't know if i was an anxious person before but now i am an extremely anxious person my anxiety levels are crazy like obviously like suffer a lot of depression during the time of like being really ill as well and like it was never once a doctor said to me that this might happen to you like not even that it might happen i was had nothing and so i wasn't actually aware that was normal i thought it was me again that like there was something wrong until now i think i put up a poll a while ago and I think I had something like 97% of people said they suffer anxiety and depression as part of their IBD. And I was like, well, why isn't that part of the diagnosis, like part of the whole conversation? Um, I don't know if it was for you. So did, did you have that conversation? No, they, no again, I, I found it really, I mean, I was a kid when I got diagnosed, Lynn, so it's probably a little bit different for me as well. Yeah. But I find it fascinating. I mean, I work in healthcare and I find it still fascinating that physical and, and psychological health still isn't interlinked. Because it's yeah. not like I, I mean I work, I literally work in it. It's still not interlinked. There's still not any concentration in your physical health when someone's treating someone's psychological health and vice versa. Yeah. yeah, I I mean, I probably from my point of view, if I think of my psychological health, it was more to do with pain management. Mm. There was just some parts of my life where I literally thought I was in so much pain, I didn't know how I could, I don't know, I didn't know how I was gonna survive it. That's the only way I could describe yeah. it, if that makes sense. But, so I didn't necessarily become depressed or anxious. I just, I was just in such unbearable pain that I didn't know how I would get through it. Um, and then that makes you just feel so unwell, doesn't it? Totally. It's so tough. It's so the, tough. Yeah. The closest I had to a conversation about it was when the doctor told me that it was all in my head. So no, definitely no conversations about mental health. I mean, they said the same to me, and I just wonder how could that ever come to some, uh, you know, somebody who works in healthcare? How could they come to you tell them that you're bleeding, you know, from that that area, and they say that you're imagining that? You can't imagine that. Like I don't, no. I don't get it. It's and that's Baffling. the frustration, isn't it? And we that's what we were saying before. It's so worrying, like how many people must go to. Again, we're not bashing any clinicians, no. are we? But how many people do go to the doctors and they kind of you know said oh just come back and then like you had that experience and then you don't come back because you've just had such a shit experience literally so people yeah. are self-managing these diagnoses without knowing what the hell to do um it's really kind of demoralizing for people isn't it totally totally so yeah i'm going to include that in the book and, and i'm going to i'm going to try and get stories i've had a lot of people sending their stories i'm going to try and pick out like bits of the stories that i think would be relatable for people um amazing i started it about and uh, last year at some point and then I kind of stopped because I couldn't be bothered you know it takes a lot of work and then I literally just started again a couple of weeks ago so um I, I'm not 100% sure how the format's going to be I think it's going to be something along the lines Crohn's colitis and everything else or it's going to be something along the lines of like you know 10 rules for living with chronic illness something like that you know so I think it's kind of thing that people might like to read amazing. yeah is there anything else that you would like to tell our amazing listeners no, I think I've had a really good time. Thanks for inviting me on. It's been uh, it's been uh, good fun. Yeah, it's, it's good been to lovely having chat. you on. We kind of feel like we know you already. I'm not going to lie, just from <laughs> our chats on Instagram and everything. But it's good to actually. Yeah. Meet you. <laughs> yeah. I know it's been good. It's been really good. 
Yeah. No, but thanks for all the support as well, because we've obviously been talking to you since we started the podcast. So we really appreciate it. And yeah, it's been like the same as what you said earlier. It's been really lovely and eye opening knowing how big and close the IBD community is, because until Sarah and I started the podcast, neither of us really talk about our IBD. We did with like our friends and family, but nothing major. We both probably said to you, Liam, we just kind of because we work and travel and are super busy with lots of different stuff. We, it's just not, we just haven't really been a part of any community as such with regards to our illness. So it's been incredible meeting. Yeah. We'll do a meetup one day eventually. We will. Well, Sarah's going to move back to the UK. Is she? (laughs) (laughs) I miss that memo. I'm going to persuade her old jobs, her old boss to give her another job. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me on. It's been great. I've had a great time. It's really amazing. We'll have to catch up again soon. Keep us posted on how the book's coming along and we'll have yeah, you we'll again to talk about that. that one. Thank you. Have a lovely day. Have a day. Bye. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. We have a lot of exciting interviews coming up. Definitely subscribe so you don't miss an episode and follow us on Instagram at pop to the loop podcast for a bit more content on a daily basis and some behind the scenes images. Yeah. Everything will be linked in the description so you can find everything there. Love you guys. Love you.